You will surely not die, the serpent said to the woman. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw the fruit of the trees was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked, and so they sewed fig leaves together and made covering for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord, from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked, and so I hid. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate. And the Lord God said to the woman, what is it that you have done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. And so the Lord said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all the livestock on the animals, all the wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. And he will crush your head and you will strike his heel. And to the woman, he said, I will greatly increase the pains in childbearing with pain. You will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. And to Adam, he said, because you listened to your wife and ate from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat of. Cursed is the ground. Because of you, though painful toil, you will eat of it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. And by the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until they return, till you return to the ground. Since from it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you will return. And Adam named his wife Eve, because she would become the mother of all the living. And the Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. Father, we pray as we open your word, open our hearts for you to speak to us as we have spoken to you. And our praise that you would speak to us in this. But as we do this, Lord, we just want to lay aside all the cares of this world, the things that uh, has happened even recently, and those things that maybe even we're looking forward to later, that you would help us focus upon you. Though we were reminded uh, at this time uh, out at the campgrounds, Fran and Sharon are our missionaries to the campgrounds and beginning their first service. And we pray your blessing upon them in an amazing and powerful way, knowing that there are many on this weekend often camping that are not the rest, that you would break through, that you and your word would come true to many who are there. Lord, even those who do not know you would come to know you in a real and personal way. Father, we think of others who are, are traveling, others that are even traveling for you in missions trips that are coming up, that you provide, that you'd watch over, that you'd work. Think of so many different other needs upon our hearts of people who are grieving, people who are concerned, uh, needing your touch. 
Father, move and work as only you can. In and through your people as you choose. But move. Even today, move us. That we would not be the same walking out. Not because of anything I say. Lord, I pray you go beyond anything I could possibly say. That your power and authority of your word through the Holy Spirit would just be overwhelming. To a point where we are free indeed in you. So thank you for all of this. And we commit ourselves to you today in your name. Amen. All right. So if we were playing charades and I were to say three words, it's up on the screen too if you can't figure that out. There's three. Okay. Three words. Are you ready? Shame on you. All right. That's very good. Or we could do it this way. That's also shame on you. Some people, this is shame on you as well. Shame on you. And you don't even have to shake your finger, right? Shame on you. You don't even have to. I mean, that's just something that is kind of a a common expression that's communicated in so many different ways, not just... Well, you think about all the different ways it just used just with our hand gesture, but there's so many different ways it's communicated with our words. Shame on you. Let me just ask if you have ever heard these words directed to you. And maybe you are willing to put up your hand about this. I don't I think it's, but have you ever heard these words directed towards you? Let's just start with those words. How many have you ever heard shame on you? Directed to you. Ooh, man, look at all those hands. For shame. Or shame, shame, shame. It's a shame. A crying shame. You have no sense of shame. You should be ashamed of yourself. You know better than that. You are better than that. In many ways... For some, these words become a curse on their lives. Shame is something that can be put on you by others, by yourself, and by Satan. And way too many Christians are stuck, trapped in shame. Although you can't always tell from the outside. They look like everything's fine, but there are secret shackles and chains that they're wearing, a shame that they've been tortured with even from early, early in life. And no one knows. But the God of blessing wants to remove the curses in our life to bring us freedom. Freedom today from the weight of shame on our lives. It's time, in a sense, as we've been talking about this uh, new begins now, we remember we were talking about how we've got to get past the past, get rid of the past, let go of the past to be able to move into the new that God wants to do now. And so today 
in a sense, is the last of the baggage that we're going to deal with before we move on to the new. And that has to do with shame. God wants to bring freedom for those in shame. The first thing uh, we begin with is recognizing that we have a life that puts shame on. Just our, our normal life. I, I, most of you, many of you, almost all of you, raised your hands when I asked about those words in some way. It's just the way life is. So shame on who? It's really shame on everybody that's happened. It's a part of life. Shame goes all the way back to the very beginning of life even. Look back again at Genesis chapter 3 at verse 8. Genesis chapter 3 verse 8. And then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden of the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord among the trees of the garden. But the Lord called to the man, where are you? And he answered, I, I heard you in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. You see, what Adam and Eve were experiencing was not just guilt, but something beyond guilt to shame. A shame uh, that caused them to hide. A shame in the Bible, that word means to blush, to dishonor, to disgrace, to embarrass to be humiliated. That's where they were at. That's where so many are at today. Now, not every sinner is a hider, although most are. And for those who think they're not, then you won't mind today if I share some of the things written in the garbage last week that you put in. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, uh, if you weren't with us, you missed that. You put that, you know, uh, little things that we wrote about guilt that we wrote on there. Although many of you... That didn't scare you at all that I would say that because you didn't put anything in it or you didn't put anything that of any significance that if it was seen that you would be ashamed of, right? You see, shame is in our life. It's motivating how and what we talk about and what we do. And sometimes it doesn't just motivate, it controls and overtakes us. Last week we talked about being guilty. And it has connection with shame. There's overlap. But guilty and shame are a little different from one another. Shame goes a little deeper. As we travel through life, let's just think of it this way, we get a matched set of baggage. We get regret, we get guilt, and we get shame. They all kind of come together. They're not the same, but they do kind of come together with the whole baggage that we need to get rid of. Those who confess their guilt before God over and over again sometimes feel like they're not getting anywhere. Why? It's like this this wall. I've, I've tried to confess before God, but there's this wall. And, and for some, it's a wall of shame. We're not breaking through. Even though we've confessed a sin to God, we have repented of this sin and we have never done it again since that day and yet we still feel shame about it. Not, I mean, we think we still feel guilt about it, but the reality is you've done all that. There is no guilt, but you do still feel shame. It's 
slightly different, not always, but one way to think about this is guilt is you messed up. Shame is you are a mess up who always messes up. You're a mess. Guilt comes about because you failed. Shame is about you being a failure. It's not just that I made a mistake, but that I am a mistake, shame says. We're constantly feeling like we're never good enough, never enough. We are a no good, good for nothing, worthless loser. Something that uh, we hear in the lyrics of Zach Williams' song, Fear is a Liar. You know, when he told you you're not good enough, when he told you you're not right, when he told you you're not strong enough to put up a good fight, when he told you you're not worthy, when he told you you're not loved, when he told you you're not beautiful, that you'll never be enough, when he told you you were troubled, you will forever be alone, when he told you you should run away, you should never find a home, you'll never find a home, when he told you you were dirty and you should be ashamed, when he told you you could be the one that grace, you would be the one that grace could never change. Fear is a liar, he says, but the reality is shame is a liar as well. Shame is a liar that says a lot of these things and that that people just continue to hear over and over in their mind, in their heart. It's just what they're living with. They listen to this voice of shame. There's a sense of being unworthy, unacceptable, unforgivable, unwanted, unloved, that you are beyond help, beyond hope, beyond God's love. And you just have this feeling that there is something wrong with me or there is at least nothing right or good about me. And while guilt drives us to our knees, oftentimes shame knocks us all the way to the ground. You can deal with guilt, like we talked about last week, forgiveness, giving our guilt to Jesus. But that doesn't necessarily take care of shame. I know many that even though they've done this, that still there are thoughts that haunt them. For some, it has been through being involved in an abortion in some way. For others, it deals with adultery. For many, it just deals with confessed sins and wrongs that can't be made right. You can't go back. They felt like they've dealt with this before God as far as their guilt, and yet they can't seem to shake it because of shame. Not just about what you've done, but about who you are. And shame is not just about what we've done. Oftentimes, shame comes upon us because of something that was done to us, like being abused, like the large number of percentage of people who have been sexually abused. Even eventually having that shame on you become a shame in you. It eventually turns to that. Unless we let the Lord Jesus remove it, shame becomes oppressive. It becomes oppressive. You just assume that this is the way you're going to be the rest of your life. This is the way you feel. There's no going back. There's no going forward. You're just stuck right here, stuck in shame, needing to find freedom. But it's tough to find freedom 
when there are so many jailers in our life. You know what I'm talking about? It's tough to find freedom when there's so many jailers in one way or another are saying and things or doing things that are, are a sense of shame on you. The words and what is said, things done uh, in a sense to admonish, someone would say, but really to punish, to make feel bad, to even to wound. But what is wrong with you is appointed negativity beyond what you do to who you are. That phrase has shackled many a person for their whole life. Parents can use it as a tactic. Shame. Not guilt or pointing out guilt, but shame as a tactic to modify the behavior and control their kids. Oftentimes it's, it's done not out of a biblical concept of discipline where one becomes a disciple, where one is learning, but it is done to bully an, ex, an external obedience out of our children. It's done out of anger oftentimes that's really more hurt than it is a help. Even though it may get the action that we wanted, it doesn't get the attitude that we really want or that God wants in their life. Rather, it ends up that guilt becomes the motivator rather than grace. And it doesn't lead them to a love, a love of Jesus. What happens is we end up through our shaming, training their hands to obey, but not their hearts. On the outside, yes, they obey. But their hearts are not. Their hearts are not obeying. And so eventually they stray. And we wonder what happened because they always seem to do the right thing. Their hearts were never discipled. Only their outside external. And so now they can stray their own way when they're no longer under control. Maybe if that's something that you struggle with, check out 1 John 4.18 sometime. I'm not going to go there right now. 1 John chapter 4, verse 18. See, there are others in our life that shame us. Uh, and really, we don't need anybody else because I think most of us are pretty good at doing it ourselves. I know I am. We could do that. And unfortunately, the church, the place you would think that we could find freedom from guilt and shame, in Christ, the church has professional shamers. I don't know if you've applied for those or not, um, uh, that position, but there is. There are professional shamers in churches everywhere. Actually, it deals more with the churchianity that focuses on this external holiness list of rules of what is proper for Christians based on the cultural preferences of believers 50 years ago, not 2,000 years ago and what God says in his word. Missing what that is. Not hitting the heart. But the greatest shamer of all, of course, is Satan himself, the accuser. Revelation 12, verse 10, we read that he is the accuser of the brethren. Uh, He does not just want to take us down. He wants to take you out. And not just take you out, but to make you think that you are out with God as well. Like Adam and Eve. Listening to the lies of the, the devil here listening to the lies which 
It's kind of amazing to think about this. We listen to the lies of the enemy that gets us into the mess to begin with. I mean, that's how we get there sometimes. We're listening to his lies, gets us into the mess to begin with, where he says, oh, go ahead. Go ahead and eat, right? It's not a big deal. Did God really say that? And then afterwards, after you commit that sin, after you admit that it's wrong, then the voice comes again and we still listen to him. Except this time this voice is saying, I can't believe you went ahead and did that. Right? It's, it's such a big deal that you did that. You should be ashamed of yourself. How can you live with yourself after what God said? Now, wait a minute. You just said, did God say that? Wait, you know, what is the voice that we're listening to? Now, uh, please understand as we talk about this, we need to understand that the voice of God, the Holy Spirit, is not one of a kind, old, blind grandfather who just ignores and writes off our wrong, our sin, as if it's okay because, hey, kids will be kids. That's not the way it works. There's no sense as you read in the Bible. In fact, as you read the Bible, we find, and it may be surprising compared to some of the popular things that are said, that there are times that temporary shame is better then no shame. Those who just don't care. I mean, there are those who just don't care what others think, right? And that can be good, except if we also don't care what God thinks. You see, there's a difference between self-confidence and no conscience. In many places throughout the Word of God, like in Jeremiah 6.15, comes down on those who are not ashamed, who do not know how to blush, whose hearts are hardened to God and live shameful, shameless lives. But he does not keep us there. Even if we have to even go to that direction, it shouldn't even have to get that far where we start to feel that shame. We should not live a life that shuts out the voice of God, even though we might shut out every other life, every other voice, to not become deaf, to not have a heart that is so hard that we cannot sense the Holy Spirit tugging at us. Because God's goal is not to get us guilty. God's goal is to get us not guilty. Do you realize that? God's goal is not, the end is not, okay, now you feel guilty, good. That's the way you should feel. It's about time. No. He wants you to feel not guilty. Not guilty in Jesus, through Jesus, through surrender, we lose the shame. We find freedom from the imprisonment of the shame. And as we're seeking this, and maybe you've sought this in your life, Dr. Rob Reamer, the Soul Care book, we've talked about in different places here, talks about how others, even though there are problems with others in our lives, sometimes others can be a help to bring freedom where it has not come before. By getting together with another person that you can trust, that you can have a total life confession, where you can just be open completely and honest with at least one person. Because when it's out in the open, 
when whatever it is, even though it's been forgiven, it has its under the blood, when it's out in the open, when it's in the light, when it's not hidden, not in the shadows, so to speak, then shame loses its power. It begins to melt away. And our mess suddenly becomes our message that God wants to give us to help other people. So we recognize that we have a life that puts shame on. And some think, therefore, what we need to do is to get rid of the shame. We need to get rid of the problem people in our life. To get rid of the blamers. uh, To get rid of the shamers, so to speak. Well, and yet, this whole attitude doesn't really help. Look back in our chapter 3 of Genesis in verse 11. And God said, Who told you that you were naked? Have I, have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat? And the man said, The woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree, and I ate it. Then the Lord said to the woman, What is this you have done? And the woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate it. You see, those in shame turn to blame. Are you with me? Those in shame turn to blame because that is well that's what that's our solution that's how we're going to make ourselves feel better it's trendy to look back and to blame all our current problems on people in our past and while there may be some truth to that and maybe even a lot of truth to that it is not a truth that can set you free from being stuck in shame it may be true they did that but it is not a truth that sets you free. Do they deserve blame? Perhaps. All of it? Not likely. But even still, pointing at someone in blame will not change the pointing shame that is at you. Adam and Eve, they tried the blame game here. How did it work for them? Yeah, just kind of like... Went right past that and said, okay, you, serpent, okay, you, woman, you, man. It doesn't work. It doesn't set them free. It doesn't set us free. Getting shamers in our life off of our case may help, but it will not heal. To get rid of those negative voices is a good thing, but it will not heal you. In fact, many times we get rid of those shaming voices in our life. And what do you know? Somebody else just comes and takes its place. Ultimately, Satan himself orchestrating these things. And even within our own selves, we just continue it on. What we've heard in the past. We need to turn to the only voice that we should be listening to. The God who is for you and not against you. The God who says in 1 John chapter 2, verse 1, If anybody does sin, if anybody does sin, we have one who speaks to the Father in our defense. Notice we're guilty. We've sinned. But we have one who speaks as our defense, in our defense before the Father. And that is Jesus Christ, the righteous one, our advocate. 1 John 2, verse 1. Yes, life 
puts shame on, but we have one that's willing to defend us even in our guilt, even when we are wrong to, sh- to do it. And that's where we need to remember uh, that, that next point. We got everybody pointing at us, but what we need to remember is that we have a Lord that takes the shame off. Look, at, we can end up saying that the problem is there's too much focus on other people and what they're saying. But the reality is there's too much focus on self. Now, how can that be? We feel bad about ourselves. We're ashamed. We, you know, we don't want people to look at us. How is it that the focus is on too much on self, on me? I'm not proud of what happened. I'm not proud of what I've done. I'm not proud of what happened to me. But that's the whole point. It's all about me. It may be negative, but it's self-centered as opposed to being Savior-centered. Our thinking, even though it's negative, is still centered on self and not the Savior. And it's hard to break free of shame when there is an overabundance focus on self. Sometimes those trying to deal with shame have just need to raise, in a sense, not our self-worth, but the Savior worth. And the, the, the contemporary uh, out there in the world will tell you, you know, you just need to have some conf- self-confidence, some self-worth. We just need to build you up. You know what? That works for a little bit, but you know what? Something's going to come and knock you down. Uh, the wind is going to come of the things in life and you're going to go up and down, up and down with this whole trying to bolster your self-confidence. Instead, get a savior confidence, a confidence in him and how he feels about you, what he does in your life. God forgave them. He didn't just end it there. Yes, there are consequences that they had, but it didn't just end with, hey, here are the consequences to your actions, just as we know there are consequences He didn't end their life. He didn't stop it right then and there, everything, and start over. But in verse 20, Adam named his wife Eve because she would become the mother of all living. There was still a future. Despite the past, there was still a future and a name that was connected to the future that God wants to give to you. We get out of the shame of our past. But then verse 21, the Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. Now, Adam and Eve could have done that. They could have gone and killed an animal or whatever like that. But God did that. Why? Because this is God forgiving them. This is the sacrifice. There is no forgiveness without the shedding of blood. And so we read here, that God's sacrifice to cover their guilt and shame by giving them garments to cover that they're ashamed of. It is that sacrifice that Jesus did for us on the cross to cover over our guilt and shame. I know that some are too ashamed to come before God. At times you're like, I don't know if I can come before him and confess this in the past. I I just feel like he doesn't want to hear it. The reality is, it's not that God doesn't want to hear it, it's we don't want to say it again. We're too ashamed. We need to get beyond that because God's not keeping score of your past sin. 
Love keeps no record of wrongs. If we have confessed, if we have repented, if we have received forgiveness of Christ, then there needs to be no shame because because to Jesus there is no sin. Do we understand that? There doesn't need to be any shame because to Jesus there is no sin. He has separated it from us as far as the east is from the west. He has buried it into the depths of the sea. It is gone as far as he is concerned. And so there is nothing to base our shame on. First John chapter 1, verse 9, a common verse, tells us, very clearly, if we confess our sin, He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and to cleanse us or purify us from all unrighteousness. You know what that's telling me? I mean, there's so many things it's telling us, right? But one of the things it's saying is that I do not have to be defined by the dirt that was on me yesterday. I do not have to be defined by whatever dirt was on me yesterday because I came to Jesus for some major dry cleaning. He's taking care of it. It's gone. There is no more dirty laundry for me to be ashamed about based on this verse. The past is not who you are today, and the past is not who you will be. Not only are you forgiven, but you are a new creation in Christ. When you come to Jesus, you become a new creation. So this is not just about your forgiveness. You're new. It's different. It's all. It's like the chorus in 10th Avenue, uh, North Song. You are more. You are more than the choices that you have made. You are more than the sum of your past mistakes. You are more than the problems that you create. You have been remade. Whatever you have done is not what you will do. Who you have been does not have to be who you will be. Your history does not have to determine your destiny. We need to put that past behind and move into the new that God wants to do. But, 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 but Pastor would have done it. It's just so big. I, I, I know we're normally grace we cover, but this is just too much. I've gone too far for too long. And there's this shame that weighs so heavy upon us, even though we've come and asked for forgiveness. We just don't think that there's any way that God could ever forgive that. But think about the weight of shame and guilt on Adam and Eve. They committed the very first sin in a perfect environment with a perfect close relationship with God and only really one rule. And they blew it. And they didn't just blow it for themselves but the consequences affected everyone who has lived since they didn't just royally blew it when a perfect world and all they had was one thing they blew it but they messed it up for everybody after them can you even imagine the weight of the shame and guilt of that can you imagine how big that sin is and yet we read god forgave them he gave that sacrifice it covers over as they continued on in relationship they didn't 
get to continue on in the garden, but they did continue on with God. Don't lose sight. He did not give up on them. He's not going to give up on you. Even after all he knows about us, he still wants to be with you. You might feel shame like there's no way, but he does. In fact, if you are a believer here today, then we know that Christ lives in us. Galatians 2.20 says, I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. Now think about that. Christ lives in me. And we know that fact, but the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, has chosen, so to speak, to take up residence in me. He has chosen to take up residence in you, even though he knows everything about you, everything you've ever done, everything you've ever said, even before. And yet he still chooses to be in you. I don't need shame. This is where shame off and what he's done. They should have run to God and they did not. They hid from him. When he was the, and it makes no sense to hide from God because obviously he knew exactly was where they were and what was going on. Shaming, a shame that hides in a sense is pointless because God sees and knows all. But he's the one that we should be going to. Uh, Psalm chapter 25, verse 20. Guard my life and rescue me. Do not let me be put to shame, for I take refuge in you. We not find the shame. God has not put us to shame because we find our refuge. We hide, not from him, but we hide in him. You take your life and to actually hide it in him. At the very beginning of Genesis, we see before sin before sin entered and and how everything was perfect with everything that God had done. And it talks about how Adam and Eve uh, together in verse 25 of chapter 2 of Genesis, the man and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. Before sin entered the world, there was no shame. God's perfect creation, all that he had planned, all that was going on, his perfect creation was about a place of no shame. That's what he wants for us. That's what he began. That's what he is looking for. There is no shame. And that is what is going to happen in the end. There's no shame for those who are in Christ Jesus. 1 John chapter 2, verse 28, And now, dear children, continue in him, so that when he appears at the end, so to speak, which is really the beginning, but when he appears, we may be confident and unashamed before him at his coming. At the very beginning, it was supposed to be about being unashamed. And now at the very end, when we meet with Christ, it is once again to be a place where we are unashamed, where shame off can happen. Instead of the shame on that has been, you know, uh, there are many that have talked about this. There's a, uh, some of you may know the Christian artist Mandisa. She has a song strictly stated that shame off. I'm going to take the shame off. Stop believing what I know ain't true. I'm going to put your grace on and wear it proud like you want me to. You've taken all my heaviness off of me. You've changed my old identity. So I'm going to take my shame off. 
replacing I am weak with the fact that I am strong in you, changing how you look at me, going to see from your point of view. You call me blameless, you call me chosen, you make a masterpiece out of my broken, and you tell me I'm enough, I'm complete, and I am loved by you. Jesus loves you more than you know. And if you were to reply back, oh, I know that. No, you don't. I just said, Jesus loves you more than you know. Oh, I know. No, you don't. Are you with me? You know, we got to realize that no, we really don't. And sometimes I think we need to preach, even sing. Preach to ourselves. Sing to ourselves. Jesus loves me. This I know. For the Bible tells me so. Little ones to Him belong. They are weak, but He is strong. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. The Bible tells me so. To hear God speak. That. Not just to be reminded, but to sit and to take some time and to listen. In fact, today, today in our service, in just a couple minutes, we're going to invite you at that closing song to those who have had shame put on to say shame off, to come, respond, to listen to His voice, to even in these times to hear Him speak to you that we are His child. That all who received Him, He gave the power to become children of God. You are His. He is your dad. He loves you. He loves you more than we can ever imagine. Zephaniah 3.17 says, The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He knows our sin. He knows what we've just done, even the things this morning. And yet He rejoices over you with gladness. He will quiet you by His love. He will exalt over you with loud singing. We need to listen to His words to get that shame come off of us. The words of what He says. It's like another song. And I share these only because sometimes maybe what we need is to kind of think and soak in some of these scriptures and maybe listen to some songs that might be helpful for those who find that. Lauren Daigle, remind me once again just who I am because I need to know. You say I am loved when I can't feel a thing. You say I'm strong when I think I am weak. You say I am held when I am falling short. When I don't belong, you say I am yours. And I believe, I believe what you say of me, I believe. Are you willing to believe that today? The only thing that matters now is everything you think of me. In you, I find my worth. In you, I find my identity. Listen. The voice of God, the Holy Spirit to break through, to break down these walls. The Jesus who came and bore our guilt and shame on the cross wants to do. I ask that the worship team would come as we ready to 
saying, I'm going to pray in a moment, but here's what, for you, God speaking to you, you know, you experience a shame, it may be a little, maybe a lot, but he doesn't want any on you. Maybe you want to come to the altar as we uh, up here to the front and just kneel before him, but as well, we're going to ask that the elders would go ahead and take their positions. Uh, we're, as elders and their wives, are going to be, uh, one's going to be over in that corner, one's going to be over here, I'm going to be standing here. And we just want to make ourselves available for you to come up to us and just to receive a blessing. And maybe there's something that you want prayed about and for. We're not going to deny that. But as we think about this shame, for so many, you've been told shame on you for so long. We want to declare in Jesus' name, shame off of you. In Jesus' name, to find that deliverance in Him. Know that He loves you. You've been cursed. We just want to take a few minutes to bless you. And so I encourage you just to, whichever one you feel like or close to or comfortable with, however you want to do that, feel free to go to that. Father, lead us now. Help us. So many struggle with this. And maybe we don't think we struggle with shame, uh, but we know what it's like to be ashamed. And that there are some things that we have never told a soul. We have never told anyone else. Why? Because of our shame. You don't want that to be. There are others that just shamed who they are for so long. Help them to see that there is a way for shame to come off through you and listening to your voice and who you say that we are. So in these moments here, speak to us. Speak as only you can. In your name, Jesus.